It's happy hour again from Uptown New Orleans at the Collins Hotel on St. Charles Avenue. Hello, I'm Grant Morris. The Collins Hotel is a great place to come and stay if you're coming to New Orleans. If you're already here, it's a great place to come and have a drink as we're doing It's Happy Hour. In the next 60 minutes, you'll get to meet just three of the many thousands of fascinating people who live in New Orleans. And you'll get to hear some live music at the end of the show. You might conclude New Orleans is a great city where people love to talk, have fun and enjoy great music. But you probably know that already. So let's get right on with doing nothing. But enjoying the next 60 minutes of Happy Hour together, my special guests for the next 60 minutes are Karen Candy Tap, a model, actress, and Cambodian rights activist, co-founder of the Strengthening Cambodia Communities Project. And as a model, I have to call you Candy, correct? Yeah. Which is spelled I-K-A-N-D-Y. Yep. Very good. Kitsy Adams is sitting across the table from me. Kitsy has been Chris Owen's publicist for 25 years. Glorious. She is the producer of the Chris Owen's Easter Parade, co-producer, and with her husband, chef Joseph Feroldi, owns Joseph Feroldi Catering. Her personal motto, apparently, according to my research here, is always eat dessert first. Absolutely. That's your motto as well. We're going to get along great. To my right is Leah Song. Leah is a singer-songwriter in a band called Rising Appalachia. Rising Appalachia has three released albums and plays live across the country and around the world. Based in New Orleans, Leah also has a career as, check this out, a solo artist, an actor in street theater, an acrobat, a music educator, and a yoga instructor. <laughs> That's quite a, an impressive bunch of women I'm sitting at the table with. And sitting at the piano across from me is the fabulous, talented, lovely, gorgeous, and always charming, Mitch Foreman. Ah, oh, very nice. Thank you, Mitch. Oh, you're I think welcome. it's very nice. I've got all the girls to agree with me here. Mitch, I'm sitting uh-huh. to look, well, look at this. Look at this collection of women. How'd this happen? I don't know. I wish I, I can't really see from here. I know. Well, turn around. Oh, now I see. There that. you are. Thank you very uh-huh. much. So, Mitch, how have you been? What's happening? Oh, uh, I've been well. I've been well. Busy, but, but well. Busy, but happy. Mardi Gras <laughs> gone. Everything's back to normal. <laughs> Finally. You seem tired, though. <laughs> I think you're, you're, you're uh, projecting. You're, you're projecting, yes. No, but I'm a little tired. It's been busy, but uh, I I played with a gospel group at my wife's school. My wife's a principal of a high school. Yes. And we played with a gospel group this morning. That's good. And, does, that, uh, does that pay anything? Uh, you know, I think everyone got paid but me. <laughs> Isn't that typical? It doesn't, uh, it doesn't look right to take money from, from, from my you know, gospel, from Jesus. <laughs> or from your wife. From the school district. You know. Now, who, who of you guys are married, single, or whatever? I'm married. Eye Candy, you're married? Mm-hmm. Who's the lucky Mr. Eye Candy? Uh, his name is Phantom. He's also a rapper. His name is, how do you spell that? Phantom. You have to really lean in and speak up. Phantom. Mm-hmm. His name is Phantom. It's not a, so you're sitting across the table from each other at breakfast and he calls you I Candy and you call no, him Phantom. See, when we talk to each other, it's different because we're both Cambodian, so I will call him Bong and he will call me Own. His name's Bong? <laughs> really? <laughs> is he a big weed smoker? No. I can't believe we got weed into the first two minutes well, of the conversation. His real this name is, is Peck, which means, or we pronounce it Peck, which means diamond. So. But his nickname uh, is Bong. Yeah, well, I call him Bong. And what does he call you? Owen. Owen. Mm-hmm. Like Owen. Like O-U-N. What does that mean? Um, it's kind of a respectful thing um, for a, like a husband and wife to call each other. Oh, really? So there's a special... It's kind of like sweetheart, honey, but it's oh, more, okay. it's formal. Like if it's any couple that's Cambodian, they call each other bong on. Oh, really? But you can also use that, those phrase if they were 
you're older. Like, let's say you're older than me, I will call you. Let's say I am, just pretend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's say I will call you Bong and then your name. Yeah. Oh, like Bong Grant. Right. Exactly. Wow. As as is the respect. It's like respect. It's like Mr. Grant. Like kids here call each other Mr. Grant yeah, or exactly. Miss Candy. <laughs> or something like that. How did you come up with eye candy? I K A N D Y. I had a dream. Like I was thinking about like my career, where it's going, and I needed like a stage name because mm-hmm. I didn't really want everybody to know who I was. You know, I wanted my <laughs> personal life, and then I wanted my, you know. So I, it came to me in a dream. I said, you know, it's funny. I was right before the dream. I was like, you know, kind of prayed about it. <laughs> Who'd you pray to? Tell us, <laughs> God. Okay. Are you thinking like if it's Buddha or? Well, what sort of religion are you? Well, I'm. Is, what does the thing? I'm different. Uh, so I'm different. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I know. It's. I know. Buddhism to me is more of a cultural thing. Okay. It's not a religion to me. Like I grew up as in a Buddhist family. Like it's a lifestyle for me. Is Buddhist Buddhism mm-hmm. a religion? Mitchell. Yes. Is Buddhism a religion? Yeah, of course it is. I. I think. Didn't you, didn't you used to be a Buddhist yourself? I've, I've, I've played in all the major religions. Played on all the, all the te- I played approach. on every team. I remember that when you, were ch- you were chanting at one point. Yeah, remember yeah, that yeah. whole chanting thing? Yeah, yeah. So, but that, so that's, is that a religion? Yeah. What, what, Leah, are you religious? I'm spiritualist. So you don't belong to an actual... Well, I believe very much in... In, in or being. A higher power. Yeah, that's how I, I feel. I don't attach it to an organized religion. I think organized religion is very... I think it can be... Um, I think you just have to be careful when you start putting your spirituality in the hands of other people. Mm. Yeah, so, I have to agree. So I definitely have a spiritual practice. But do, you, do you pray? I do pray, yeah. So who are you praying to? I don't know. Something greater than me. Just something out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a higher spirit. And say so, same it's with you, same, Candy. Yeah. Is it Candy or I Candy? What should yeah. I say? You can call me Candy. Candy, so for sure, like a nickname. Yeah. Or on. <laughs> well, I have to wait till we're married before I say that. No, you can call me. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. It like, doesn't, I can still say own, even though you can I'm still not married. Call me own, oh, yeah. okay. All right. It's, it's still, I'll write like that down. Respectful so. thing. O U N? Yeah. Okay. Kitsy, can I call you own as well? Absolutely. Okay. Call me anything except late for dinner. <laughs> Absolutely. What, what religion are you? I'm the good little Catholic girl from so, New Orleans. So you're a real Catholic? A real Catholic. So you, you go to church every Sunday? Oh, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> that's a real Catholic. <laughs> Nowadays, that's a real Catholic. Huh? No, born and raised in a Catholic upbringing, believe. And just like everyone, I think there's some things that you believe in and then you have some disagreements with, you know, within the religion. And that's just, that's all the politics of it. But you know, on a whole, definitely Catholic. Religion and politics shouldn't mix, though, should they? How'd no, you, but in New that? Orleans, <laughs> hello, we're in New Orleans. Yeah, they shouldn't mix, but they do. But they do, yes, absolutely. So how did you, well, okay, so would you move on from religion or should we get back to Candy's, <laughs> we get back to Candy's dream for we a minute? Because <laughs> that's how we got on yeah, to it. Yeah, it came to me the next day. I woke up and said, oh, I'm Candy. You what know, to be honest, dream, you know though? why? Because I were have in, kids. We in a swimsuit? And they watched the Nickelodeon show iCarly. Nice. So <laughs> I think that's where it came from. That's where it came, came, from. From. came from. What's it called? I what? iCarly. iCarly. Mm-hmm. What is that? 
It's a kid's show. It's a cartoon. Te- it's, yeah. No, it's a kid's you guys show. guys all know that. I don't know it, but it's a, I it's like a kid's that show. I know it, unfortunately. Your kids. You've watched it, Mitch? I Carly. Yeah. I Carly. So, yeah. I, you know, I was like, oh, I candy. Oh, it's like, you know, you who's, know, like I candy, I candy, I candy. You know? well, I guess <laughs> that's where it came from. You're watching that, then you went to sleep, and it came, what does? Who is I, Carly? She's just this. Leah, no, like a she, teenage. She does, like a teenage, yeah. Oh, okay. With, with, a, with like, like a talk show or something. Like with that. her own web show. Oh, that's her that real name. It. Her real name <laughs> is Miranda Cosgrove. That's sad oh, right. that I know that, but I do. <laughs> 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 that's how much, and I actually like watching I, Carly. But you have kids. You you have to. Yeah, I think I've watched every SpongeBob episode <laughs> there is. It's your like reference point, right? Yeah, you know, I'm like, oh, that's It'll new. I haven't young. seen that one yet. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it just came out, mommy. Like, yeah. how old are your kids? I have four. Four nice. kids. Yes, I Holy have four. Yeah. My oldest is nine and a half. So I have nine and a half, eight, five, and a six-month-old. Wow! Congratulations on that. And is Bong the father of all these kids? No, just no. the last one. Just the last one. <laughs> Who, I was I was married, yeah, and um, you know, divorced. I'm not from what? here. I'm actually from um, DC, the DC area. You were born in DC, yeah, and then you moved here yep. in 2008. Yes, I read that on the internet. Yes, I, I was like, a, I read hey, a wait a minute, how did I read you a lot know of that? About you on the internet, <laughs> we're going to get a, I was onto like, okay. <laughs> in a minute. Yeah, that's exactly how I came here. And where did you come here from, Leah? From Atlanta. I was born in Atlanta. But I have a very, I have a very mixed story. I was raised in a family that was uh, very founded in creative arts. So, can you hear me? Is that better? Yes. All right. So I was, I was born in Atlanta, but my a very sultry voice. Very nice, yeah. sexy voice. Pay the bills with this I love voice. <laughs> <laughs> Pay the bills with it. Uh, my, my mom, was got really involved in. Appalachian folk traditions when I was a very little girl. Shall I stop you there and just ask you what that means? Yeah, sure. What does Appalachian... Is it, how do you, so pronounce, you pronounce I Appalachian? I say Appalachian, but there's is nothing wrong with Appalachian. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's on cue. You and, uh, say, yes. <laughs> you say Appalachian. Appalachian, I say <laughs> Appalachian. Uh, and my father is a folk sculptor and he came from the west side of the country so he came from illinois and then and then california folk sculptor there's so many questions okay what is a fo- what well let's go back to let's the go to appalachian one. yeah what is appalachian then we'll get on to what is a folk sculptor so can someone remember that though because i'll forget i remember okay i got it all right the bloodline okay <laughs> uh, what is appalachian so the appalachian mountain range runs from north georgia all the way into sort of montreal area of canada and it is the said to be some of the oldest mountains in the world, but culturally it is tied to a lot of the original folklore that comes out of the American continent. So there is a lot of the Cherokee religions and a lot of the Cherokee history has come out of Appalachia, and there's been a lot of Irish influence. There was a lot of West African influence there. Um, and it is, it's kind of like a soup pot. It's continued to build culturally. But this is a long mountain range that goes from long, Georgia yeah. To, yeah. to Canada. So which part, um, is it all called Appalachia? <coughs> it is all called Appalachia. But there can't mm-hmm. be much commonality between the people who are living in Georgia and the people living in Montreal, sure. Or is there? You know, I don't know. Because uh, my, my reference point is mostly Southern Appalachian. Right. And the Southern Appalachian culture has it has a lot of negative stereotypes that everyone is quick to jump to, like you know, redneck banjo players that, no, that have, don't have teeth and 
I watched this show. <laughs> Deliverance? No, it's a sh- TV show. The guy that does the cooking show. Yes. You know what I'm talking about, the funny guy with the bald name. Oh, there's only one cooking show. You think we'd know that? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's popular. I forgot his name. But anyway, he did one, one of the TV shows where they show everybody that's cooking. Okay, I guess it's kind of his fault because it's the first time I actually witnessed, you know, and they're eating squirrels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. eating yeah. squirrels and like hogs and they're putting it under the ground. Yeah. There's a big difference and between eating, eating a hog turtles. And squirrel. They're, they're like fishing for turtles, you know, so. Right. What eating? Did you, <laughs> did you grow up eating squirrels? No. Well, well, I have this. This is the thing. I grew up in Atlanta. I grew up in the middle of like the hip hop urban South. But I spent my weekends going to old folk music camps in all over the mountain ranges. And the the beautiful side of the culture that nobody ever hears about is that there is a tradition in in herbal medicine. There's a tradition in, in plants. There's a tradition in, in natural log cabin building and an incredible music and dance that's like this tiny, tiny part of what the public thinks is going on. Right. And the big part is, you know, the, the kind of it's redneck maniacs. <laughs> yeah. So, so I have this, I had a, I had sort of an identity crisis my entire childhood where I was like, I grew up in the hearts of Outkast and Goody Mob and downtown Atlanta, urban uh, sort of political spoken word and, and jazz and, and hip hop. And then I spent all my weekends in like very small mountain cultures. So you gravitated toward the mountain culture rather than the hip hop, I think. No, I, I actually still do a lot of spoken word work. And in our band, Rising Appalachia, we have a beatboxer and we have a West African drummer. That's so, so cool. Yeah. That is so cool. I have to come see you. Yeah, <laughs> come, I really come. get to come see you. Well, let, let's have a listen to some of this kind of music that you play then, seeing we've got a guitar. All right. Well, the one that I picked out for you is very new. Okay. Um, so I have my lyrics here. And I don't know if it's a good reference of the melting pot, but I'll do it anyway. Okay. Is this in your way? A little, but I think it's all right. Okay. So this is a really, really simple song called Love Stays. And uh, I just just finished launching a solo project, so this is its feature song. Take no shit from you. 
That's how you know where to find my clues. Cause love don't move no other way. So she stays. So she stays. That's beautiful. Beautiful. That is so goes beautiful. without saying, isn't it? Yeah. Everyone's gosh. face in this room suddenly sort of froze when you started singing. Yeah, thanks. Great voice. When did yeah, you discover you could voice. sing like that? Mm. When you were a little kid? Yeah, that's part like of this camps. whole family story. I was raised in like music. So we had folk music over and my mom was playing jazz piano and my dad was playing blues guitar and there were gospel circles and women singing and... It was going on all the time. A lot of people rebel against the way they were. I rebelled. What happened? Well, I became like very against Appalachian music. Right. And very against acoustic music. All I wanted was electronic music. And I really liked gangster rap. And I still really like gangster rap a lot. But but then I realized like somewhere in 1920 era of my life that what I really wanted to do was figure out how they all could coexist. And so the music that that I've been creating and that 
my solo project is very new, but the, the band that, that I built with my sister, which is called Rising Appalachia, we, we started trying to figure out how it mixed, how it all mixed up. So we took hip-hop foundation and put in Appalachian instruments and brought in Cuban rhythms and West African drums and jazz bass and whatever we could fit in there. And then New Orleans, of course. Well, let's talk about how you got to New Orleans in a minute because Kitsy has been working on Bourbon Street for the last... 25 years. Brave a long time. <laughs> <laughs> how did you Good start time. How did you start working with Chris Owens? First of all, do you guys both know who Chris Owens is? Chris no, is no. Chris is an entertainer on Bourbon Street and is a Vegas style show, hot variety. Chris is a woman, style. by the way. Yeah, is all a right, woman, okay. is a is a legend, has been on the strip for quite some time. And my favorite saying is, you know, people say all the time, what is her age? What is her age? And a good publicist always says she's old enough to do what she wants and young enough to do it. Because <laughs> believe you me, really the only show left on Bourbon Street that she sings and dances and has a live band behind her of five to eight pieces um, at all times um, does a show a night pretty much five, six days a week still. And it's just, she's an icon. She's been on the, on the strip for a quite some time and well, just how long has she actually been there she's been here she was honestly married to i was related to her belated husband saul owens oh, that's, so and so was in the family family, family. Oh, wow. and so um really started in the early 80s and started doing a little bit of publicity and marketing and things of that nature for her and truly a not only a publicist, but really is a family member. Just a good, good person and a beautiful person. Not only on the outside, but on the inside too. Gives a lot back to the city and just an incredible, incredible businesswoman. Not only entertainer. Um, it's amazing because people don't realize that she, after Saul passed away, she continued that whole entire tradition of that building. In the building is 30 apartments and three shops and her home and her club. And so she runs that whole entire empire. Of course, has a CPA and an attorney and all that, but on the day-to-day -day basis, she's the woman behind the scene. And is then she's single still? Single, yes. Has a friend. Has does have the, a gentleman. The blonde guy. Yes, Mark. Who's, who's has the a blonde guy? It is a friend and really helps her run the building. Really right. does, you know, you can't do it all, but definitely she definitely orchestrates everything and makes everything so is, happen. Is that a boyfriend? Yes. What, what's his name? His name Mark. is Mark. Because yes. I see her with him all the time. Absolutely. No, not that I see her all the time, but every time I see her, <laughs> Absolutely. she's he's, with this he's really with handsome sure. guy with a sweat back hair. Yes, Mark. Is he a bodybuilder you know. or what? <laughs> no, just uh, he was given that gift of from God. You know oh, that, uh, that. I wish uh, I was given uh, that uh, gift. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> you and me both. What does me. he do there apart from hanging out and helping her? It pretty That's much takes care of the building. Yes, just all the maintaining so how of they, the building. How did they meet? It's really um, funny. We their anniversary was at Mardi Gras time. They met. I have a a child that's 16 and I was pregnant at the time and so this is their this past Mardi Gras was the 16th anniversary was invited to her home for Mardi Gras through a mutual friend and that's how they met wow yeah. so but um 16 years is a good long time to stay together time. on Bourbon yes. Street yes, yes, yes. <laughs> she was married to Saul for quite some time and Saul was a lot older than she was and Saul passed away in 79 so did and she, she start continued. doing this was he a, was he a wealthy guy and let her do this he he was in for her own entertainment or yes he was in the automobile business and did very well for himself and he um his home was the their home was the Melrose 
that's on Esplanade. It's the mm. Melrose Bed and Breakfast. Okay. And that was their first home. And then he, um, they had a club, the 809 Club on St. Louis Street. And they would go back and forth and travel back and forth to Cuba, back and forth to Havana. And she really got all of her training and all in Havana. They would okay. go to Havana and they would dance. And people, the crowds would just surround them to see them dance. They were just tourists at this she, point. Exactly. Had some friends in Havana that um, owned some hotels and some nightclubs and would go really just to vacation. And so that's where that started. And she took singing lessons and had that natural rhythm and that beat and till this day has made a career out of it and then they bought the building on bourbon street and that's where they put the club and the empire of real estate is right there so truly she was a baby she was a child when she came to new orleans her sister was here in new orleans and she would come to visit and she and that's how she met saul so it's he honestly you know he created her and just um she's taken it and ran with it till this day Go on. Well, Havana, I, I spent some time in Havana, and I studied, I studied music, and I also studied dance there. And I think Havana and New Orleans are so parallel. Close. They're so close. Very you know? close. They have, the same, they have the same energy. They have the same color scheme. They have the same spirit. Correct. So. Well, Correct. Chris can't last forever there, as you know. Even oh, though I, I think Miss O is going to maybe, <laughs> maybe Leah, who's no. going to take over. Miss O is going to outlive us all. I can promise you. I can promise you without a doubt. Without a doubt. I do want to squeeze in because now Mardi Gras is over and the Easter parade, the Chris Owens Easter parade is coming up, and it's our 29th year, which she started that tradition 29 years ago, which is fabulous, and we've created and kept building upon it and now we have over and listen to these numbers over a hundred thousand people on the street on easter sunday and it's a tradition that um we start at the Astro Crown Plaza Hotel with a continental breakfast, and then we board the floats and she rides and there's 13 other floats and marching bands and (laughs) just a whole festivity there's like 31 elements to the parade and it's um 31 elements meaning what Marching bands, bands flows. So you put this whole thing together. I produce it with a near and dear friend, Dottie Boletto, that owns New Orleans Convention Company. Well, that's you don't get any more New Orleans name than that. No. Dottie Boletto. Dottie Boletto, huh? She owns what? New Orleans Convention Company. New Orleans Convention Company, yes. And um, her and I joined forces about 15 years ago and took it over. And um, it has just grown and grown and grown, which is a wonderful thing. And have you had any training in how to be a publicist or marketing or MBA or anything? You know, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm showing my age, and um, I'll use one of Chris's lines. Mine is unlisted, but I will tell you this, <laughs> that for those of you out there listening, the Beverly Dinner Playhouse is where I really got my start. And the Beverly Dinner Playhouse was located in Jefferson Parish, and it's honestly where the celebrities came to town, and it was a dinner theater. And I honestly did that in the later years of high school and the early years of college. And then, as unfortunately... An, as an actress? No, honestly... You ran it. I did some box office work, and I right. also did there some marketing for them in advertising. And so it's just, you know, we all have our talent, and it's just kind of natural. So you just gravitated to towards show biz- the business side of show the business? The business side of show business, Without yes. any training whatsoever, you just started doing it. Exactly. Just attracted to it. Exactly. Love it. And then you ended up Love being it. related by sheer chance to yes. Chris Owens, who's an entertainer, yes. and you worked for her. Yes. And I say that I've never worked a day in my life. Nice. Yes, lucky. which is true. That yes. is good. lucky. Yes, Mitch true. Foreman has never worked today in his life. <laughs> <laughs> Except that's true. <laughs> Mitch, Mitch, what about playing something? 
I'm going to play uh, something. <laughs> it, might, it feels a little like work, but it's not. once I get started, it won't. It's called Have You Met Miss Jones? It's an old standard. <laughs> okay. Oh, yes. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Very nice. Mitch uh, Foreman, have you met Miss Jones? Who wrote that one? Uh, that guy. Um, What's his name? Uh, is it Rogers and Hart, perhaps? I'm not quite sure. I have to check. That's two guys, I think, Rogers and Hart. Two guys is Rogers and Hart. I, I'll come back to that in a moment. Have a look, uh, look it up online. While we're, look it up on that well, wacky I, internet. Let me know while I'm doing this. Hey, that was Mitch Foreman on piano. My guests here are Eye Candy, otherwise known as Karen Tepp, or Owen. <laughs> is my respectful name for her. Kitsy Adams yes. and Leah Song. Mm-hmm. Rogers and Hart is correct, by the way. Thank you very much. That's a fast internet connection. <laughs> that was really nice. Yeah, <laughs> yes, oh, very impressive. What did you look that up on your little iPhone there? You know, no, I actually have a book with songs in it. And oh, I'm there it is. Oh, I see. Oh, there it is. Okay. Book, a real okay. book. All right. Hey, listen, uh, we're coming to you live from the Collins <laughs> Hotel where we do our show. The Collins Hotel is a great place to come and stay. If you're coming to New Orleans, and if you are headed here and you need to book a hotel or a tour or you need tips on what to do, come on while you're in New Orleans. Check in with our friends at NewOrleans.com, the official New Orleans travel site. And let me also, while I'm about telling you what's going on in New Orleans, talk about the new movement. The new movement is a new bunch of guys who are bringing comedy to New Orleans. Do you guys know anything about this? No, Mm -hmm. tell us. I will tell you. After two years of shows in bars, museums, parks, and pretty much anywhere else they could play, the new movement is opening a full-time comedy theater in the Marigny. 
at 1919 Burgundy Street. Huh. How about that? That's it's going to be neighbor. awesome. That's where you live down there, Lee. You'll be able to go. It opens any day now. The shows will be there from Thursday through Saturday. Everything's free or cheap. Improv and sketch comedy classes are also available. For more info, check TNM Comedy. That's TNM for the new movement, comedy.com. TNMcomedy.com for more information. There you have it. All right. Pretty interesting, isn't Sounds it? We need it. It would be great to have <coughs> it. Why has there never been any comedy here? I'm surprised. Wait, so you've come from... When did you get here then? Eye candy? 2008. 2008. I already know that. Yes, you, you knew that. that. I knew that. And what, when did you get here, Leah? Uh, goodness. I'd say 11... Maybe around 2007. Oh, so about oh, the same time you guys got here. That's good. Now, yeah. what propelled you here, Candy? My divorce. <laughs> really? You got divorced from a... And you yeah, and a horrible husband. You had three one. kids. Yeah. A horrible divorce with and three kids. And my mom, she remarried to a fisherman um, 12 years ago. From here? Here. From no. here. Uh-huh. Oh, so you yeah. followed mom. So I thought she was like, you know, I'll help you out, get you back on your feet. Because it was, it was really rough. Were you a so model then already? I just started beginning, like, my first steps. And then at the time, I was, like, consumed by my life that was going on. So I kind of pushed it aside for a while. I think I started back up probably a couple years ago. Because like you, you started off as a nurse, right? Yes. What's, what sort of a nurse were you? Hmm? What sort of a nurse were you? Well, I worked at a hospital for two years, and I worked for um, um, nursing home for two years. And then I decided um, it was sucks. a little rough. <laughs> nursing home was a little rough, and I was like... That's with old people. Yes, it's not because it's old people. It's because I'm actually... It's the smell. No. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. Stop no. it. Hey, actually, no. I, like, I don't know. It's just my... It's my who I am, but I'm really close to older people. Mm-hmm. So I tend to like um, get close to them and then they, I, they pass away. Yeah. And it gets a little mm. hard on me because then I'm like, oh, now my mom and my mother in law. And I'm like, and I start thinking, like, oh, these old people are going to go next. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to take it. So I was like, no, I can't do this anymore. So I decided to do pediatrics right after. Pediatrics, you go the other way. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I initially didn't want to do pediatrics because of my kids. And I they didn't want to see though, sick right? kids, you know. Right. But then I uh. felt like I'm being selfish because they're out. Yeah. They need us. You know, they need nurses. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was like, let me try it. So ever since then, I'm, I'm a pediatric nurse. So are you still a pediatric nurse even yes, today? Yes, I work uh, in home health. I go, I work one-on-one in their homes nice. rather than in the hospital. It's For me, it's more like... Um, Personal, like I like mm. to have a friendly, family-oriented person. So I like to get to know the family. What have you done today, for example, before you came here? Have you been working today? Yes. What sort of a kid did you go visit today in their home? Oh, so mean what, what sort of kid? What, what's, I, I, mean, I have a lot of patients, so like. Um, so what typically some is wrong with someone who needs a nurse to go to visit them at home if they're a child? Okay, for example, I've worked with this patient for about three years since I moved here. I've been, they call me their friend. Like, I'm a family friend. I come visit them when I'm not working, when I'm not supposed to work. <laughs> I do anyway. Um, well, she was born with a cleft palate. Uh-huh. And they had to put a trach, you know, a tube in her throat. And right. then she had to be fed through her tube, in, a G-tube in her stomach. Um, she was born with it. So I, I was with her since she was two months old. And, mm. and, now, and she's now she's three. And what's going <laughs> to happen to her in long term? Well, um, just because she's a cleft palate, there's no other things wrong with her. Like, she runs around, <laughs> just, you know. Right now, they're trying to get her to eat. Because mm-hmm. 
she's so used to being fed through her stomach. She won't eat. Mm. It's hard to learn to eat. So we're trying to transition her to start eating through her mouth. Because they took out her trick now. Okay. So now she doesn't want to eat, I guess, because she doesn't know what that means to eat. She's scared to do it. She's scared to swallow. Like, she doesn't know how to swallow. So we're teaching her to, you know, swallow. How do you teach a kid to swallow? Hold their nose and shove them under the... Yeah, basically just keep trying and, like, push it in there. Because it's like, (laughs) there's no... It's like, it's a reflex. When you swallow, it's a reflex. If you don't put anything in there, you're not going to swallow. Do you guys want to drink while we're talking about swallowing? Alex, come in. <laughs> yes, what would I you want like? What candy? She has. Yeah, and I want, want another a, one of two, what I have. Two more mojitos. Kitsy, what do you have? Another one of yours as well? Yes. Okay. Because hers has real mint in it. Yeah, it's good. Well, you had a real cucumber. You haven't eaten that with your pimps cup. <laughs> you know, I, I don't really like cucumber. You don't like oh, cucumber? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Okay, you can have the cucumber. Oh, that's nice. Okay. So, um, how do we get. Oh, yes. Has the kid had McDonald's? <clears throat> yes, French fries. Like French fries. What happens is she'll Everyone swallows that, right? The salt? No, she'll suck the inside of the oh, fry. The inside of the fry, the softness yeah. of it. But well, see, she she spits it out. Like. <laughs> and then you go put on a bathing suit and do some sort of. <laughs> yeah, but that's like. an amazing balance. Mm. That's amazing. I give you kudos for that. For being a nurse. For doing both of those things. You're a nurse and a model. You know, you have like you one side where you are in the world of theatrical. You know, showbiz, yeah. might you say. Exactly. The industry. And the other side where you're doing like one-on-one personal holistic health and wellness. And that's really amazing. Kudos to Thank you. Thank you. Do you enjoy both of them equally? Yes. Would yeah. you give up being a nurse if you had a successful like huge movie or some sort of thing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. you wouldn't give up modeling but or acting. The thing is, I have to say, like I've learned so so much about people, their lifestyle, cultural. Because I worked with so many patients from all over the world. And I love that. I love learning about culture, about people in general. Like, I love that people are different. And I would like, t- since working at a nursing home, I would, I would sit there with the patient and listen to their story. Sometimes I get really sad. Because then you'll see in their room, they have pictures of them when they're young. And then you see them on the bed, and you're like, damn. Time really flies. Time it's not even fly. like what happens. It's like time really flies. When and you talk tell- to all these old people, that you're talking to a lot of old people when you're a geriatric nurse, then what's the sort of general lesson that you've taken from that? What should we do to maximize the time we've got here? Hmm. Hmm. That's exactly it. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think like I realized, like I said, like time really flies. You should probably just enjoy. Like for me, it is kind of rare for a Cambodian to go outside and do something like model. Hmm. That's not, it's like for even just Asian, let's say we're taught to do a doctor, lawyer, you know, that kind of field. And for me, it's like follow your dream. Follow your dream. Was that a big hurdle to overcome for you to, to become a model as an Asian person? Is it like an obstacle? I'm not really, I wasn't really close to my family. So it was a little bit easier for me. So it was good of your mom to help you out if you weren't even close to her then. No, we were, we, well, I think we got close the past couple of years. I have actually haven't talked to her for about 10, eight, 10 years. Yes, before that. Yeah. Mm. So we, we've gone through a lot. <laughs> you didn't talk to your own mother for eight to 10 years. Yeah. How did you pull that off? I would, wish I could have done that. <laughs> <laughs> well, she did move away. <laughs> 
know. She, you stayed in DC and she moved down here with the fishermen. Yes, with the fishermen. <laughs> wow, yeah. so you really didn't get along with her for real then? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. She had a, um, she had a rough life. And uh, it took my adult years to realize. We haven't even talked about Cambodia at yeah. all. No. <laughs> but, well, let's do that in just a minute. Though. Okay. <laughs> but before we do that, I want to just talk a little bit about the, uh, the Appalachia, Appalachia Rising. Rising Appalachia. Right. Rising Appalachia. Do you know, I, I want an album. Do you have an album? I have like, like one beat up Do you have one right now? Like I would so <laughs> buy it and I want your autograph and a picture nice. with me in it. All like, right. No, I'm serious. A picture of like, you together. with her together with me. Like, oh look, she signed it. Like, I really, uh, her voice is amazing. I've just she's got a beautiful <laughs> voice. She's amazing. I'm gonna thanks. Have to steal you for a little bit after work. <laughs> and you have a sister. I have a sister. Mm-hmm. And is your sister older or younger? She's younger. And did you did you start singing together at the beginning? Um, like the Jackson family. No, it's been a really amazing sort of accidental process. And I, I was just watching a video clip of, um, of her speaking the other day, and we're we're building a documentary piece on how this all started. Mm-hmm. And there's a quote that she says, that where she says, you know, we started playing music and people responded, and that's pretty much what's led this entire project. And that's really true. We didn't do this on purpose. I was doing theater, and I was in school, and I had I've spent six years out of the country doing a lot of Latin American human rights work and I was I was just involved in a lot of other worlds. You spent six years as a human rights activist. Mm-hmm. I'm still oh, a human rights activist. Let's get on to the... We'll get on to <laughs> We're going to get along. <laughs> what, type, what sort of human rights activism in what countries? When I was 19, I moved to southern Mexico and I started working with the Zapatista movement. In what do they believe in? Which is an indigenous rights organization in southern Mexico, but it also has to do with the rights of the Mayan... Mayan people, which is uh, an indigenous community of people that runs all the way from from s- sort of northern Nicaragua up through southern Mexico. Uh, so you, didn't, you didn't go to college? Yeah. I went to college later. I went to okay, college when, when I was 25. So you spent... For a six, few so years. This, so, this, so the six years were those years, this, from 19 to 25? Around. And then I went back again. I, w- I spent about seven, eight months last in the last two years in between Colombia and Guatemala. Wow. Do you think you were running away from something, from your background and your culture? No. You were just running to something? No, I... I what, what was it you were looking for down there in Mexico? I've, I decided when I was... when I graduated from high school that I didn't want to go to school unless I could go to, the, to my pick. <laughs> and I couldn't go to my pick Which because... Which was what? I, I wanted to go to a big art school and my, my parents didn't have any money. And so that wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. So fine. It wasn't an option. And okay. I said, all right, I'm not going to go to school if I don't know what I'm doing unless I'm going to the, to the, re- the school I really want to go to. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like this idea of life college. I'm going to try and, and, and go to the places where I can study what I want to study on the ground. And my, my parents were, f- they were a little freaked out at first. And then they kind of came back around and were like, all right, if you don't want to do it, if you don't want to go to school and if you want to try this whole traveling thing, you have to have a very clear plan and you have to have it really laid out and then we will support you emotionally, not financially, <laughs> emotionally. Okay, we'll so did you tell you. me you're going you down to work that. with the Zapatistas and they're cool with that? Uh, no, my mom was like, I'm disowning you actually. You can't <laughs> go to a revolutionary community in southern Mexico as my s- oldest daughter and my right. 
you know, so oldest was, child. So that was wow. plan A not working out. But, uh, but, they, but they instilled in me this idea that if I wanted to do anything alternatively, I needed to not be floating, you know. I needed to be really clear and really intentional and at least pursuing learning. And that, that worked. That, you know, we had some rocky times, and, but that, that sort of learning curve really worked for me. And so I, I tried to structure my time, and it had highs and lows, and things worked and things didn't work, and I definitely... Learned a whole, whole, whole lot. One generally thinks of people who work in, in human rights activism, though, to be trying to work on behalf of someone else rather than on behalf of your own education. Well, I was also working on behalf of someone else, right. but, but I guess my idea was that I wanted, to, I wanted to be educated also, and I wanted to learn, for example, Spanish or, or Latin American folklore or you know, indigenous rights in, in a country that wasn't... The United, I felt very bombarded by the United States when I was a, a teenager. You know, I just felt very overwhelmed by consumption, and, and I, I just I didn't know how to sort through my ideologies, which I imagine is the case for a lot of teenagers. And I, I felt like I needed to be studying places that had a much more intact and simple and clear relationship with with the world around them and so I was Im- immediately attracted to studying and working and doing education projects in third world the you know quote unquote third world which I think is an arguable concept anyway well, it's, a, it's an economic concept right? yeah and absolutely cultural one, right? and then I've sort of come back at it full circle and realized that there's also a huge community in the United States that is very much a despairing culture and that there is there is, you know, a big economic difference going on within, within this nation also. So it's, it has been fully educational for me. It's just been about learning, like, where, where I, I support things and what I don't support and what that looks like and to, to approach things without being incredibly judgmental and to try and understand my own role. So, And c- are you doing it through song mostly? Um, I I love the role of music, and I didn't necessarily think that I would go that route, but it, it's a very international language, you know? Like, there's no, there's no part of the world that doesn't have a space for music, and all cultures hold music in a very powerful but place. Let's take a listen to someone. <laughs> so, uh, this wasn't what I was planning on doing, and I'm going to look at my notes again, but... Okay. What's this one? This is a song that I learned in Colombia last year. And it's not... It's not totally ready either when I'm doing it, because usually there's, like, people watching me, and now we're a smaller group. (laughs) Sitting at a table. We're still people watching. You are people. (laughs) But but we're just, like, a slightly more intimate community of people. Family. Yeah. This is called Cartagenera, and it's... Say that again. Cartagenera. (laughs) It's from northern Colombia. Paseando mi soledad por las playas de Mabella, yo te vi, carta enera, luciendo tu piel morena. En tibia noche de la luna, cuando te besa la brisa, yo siento 
Cartagenera, en cascabel de tu risa. Cartagenera, tu boca, como guayaba madura. Cartagenera, tus ojos, en mi recuerda perduran. Cartagenera, morena. Uh, I missed that. Por luz de luna, dorado por luz de luna, cartagenera morena. Paseando mi soledad. Por las playas de Mabella yo te vi, Cartagenera, luciendo tu piel morena, en tibia noche de la luna, cuando te besa la brisa yo siento, Cartagenera, en cascabel de tu risa, Cartagenera tu boca, como guayaba madura. Cartagenera tus ojos en mi recuerda perdieran. Cartagenera morena, dorado por luz de luna, dorado por luz de luna. Cartagenera morena, dorado por luz de luna, Cartagenera morena. Dorado por luz de luna, Cartagenera morena. Beautiful. Yes. Oh my goodness. Incredible. Very nice. Did you write that or did no, you learn that? No, that one's a little rusty too. Sorry. No, that's a traditional Colombian song from from Cartagenera. From which Cartagena. Cartagena. It's a place. Cartagena. Oop. Cartagena is uh, is northern Colombia, and it's another city. Cartagena and Colombia uh-huh. and Havana, Cuba and New Orleans, Louisiana all are very similar music and Caribbean culture and color and street and sound. And Is that song about a woman? Yes. Cartagenera means oh. like basically a New Orleanian. You know, oh, it's the way to okay. say it. Oh, I see. It's okay. You are a woman right. from Cartagena. And her name's Morena or something? Is that no, what? her name isn't mentioned. It's not. Well, what is that line, Cartagena, Morena, what is that? Um, Those words, that's what I thought you were saying. Let's see. Cartagenera morena. Yeah, what is that? That means like brown-skinned woman from Cartagena. Ah, okay. Ah. Dorado por luz de luna. So you didn't speak any Spanish when you went down there? No, I didn't. That's couldn't amazing. even count to ten. Damn. Wow. She has a voice. Yeah, I mean, that's... It's a gift. Thanks. That's amazing. Now I can speak it, though. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's talk about Cambodia for a minute. Yeah, well, let's talk about Cambodia. Cambodia. About Cambodia. <laughs> well, this is where we go from <laughs> eye candy to Karen, I guess, or or Own. Own. So you started. You're the found the co-founder of an organization called Talking of Political Activism, Strengthening Cambodian Communities yes. Project. Yes. What, We're still what, a project. We're not an NGO yet. Well. What is it? What is the Strengthening Cambodian? It's a program where we put together. Um, well, my co-partner is in Australia and one in Australia it's a long way from Cambodia or is it closer it's closer it's closer and she's there all the time so 
She's Cambodian too. No, she's Australian. Okay. So it's me, uh, me, her, and um, and our other partner, Sophia, who is actually in Cambodia. So we help this village that he's from by um, getting together organizations around the globe and putting together a program where we, you know, we get donations to help these villagers. Um, Mostly, we're focusing on school, like. You know, getting donations for like a package, school patches, bicycle books, English classes. And this is because you, you, both your parents were from Cambodia. Yes. And they came to the United States as as refugees, as refugees. after the Khmer Rouge genocide. Yeah. Genocide. Yep. How did they get out? Um, they got sponsored to the United States. I mean, has that affected you as a person, being the a child of refugees like that? Yes. Um, yes. It really did, because um, mainly through my mom. Like, my dad, when he came here, he found a job and worked to work right away. Um, it affected my mom because she lost six kids. Mm. In Cambodia? Yeah, but Before she watched she them. She watched six children die. Die mm. in front of her. So for her, I think she was, she was obviously traumatized, and she got, like... Um, the post-traumatic disorder, and uh, hasn't recovered. She still hasn't recovered since. My mom's bipolar now, a borderline schizo, and she has depression. So it's, it's really hard, you know, obviously, to get over. She lost her whole entire family. And she had and a husband there. She had a husband before she met my dad. Right. He so was in the military. You know, he got murdered. Hmm. So what, she was actually middle class. Her whole family was a middle class. And um, during that time, they were evacuated when um, the, the Khmer Rouge um, took power. So they would send everybody to the field and work, just have an agricultural utopia kind of thing. Well, on the <coughs> process of going there, her whole family got murdered. Mm-hmm. You know, they had the whole... Um, camps, you know, if anything could happen, just didn't like you, whatever, just, you know, just shoot you execution style, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, she lost her whole entire family, <laughs> and she lost, you know, um, oh, she lost her kids, so for me, growing up was really hard, because she kind of lost who she was. Were you born here? I was born here, and I was the only one in the family born here. My brother was born in the camp in the refugee camp in the border of Thailand and Cambodia. Mm. And when we were sponsored, I was the only one born here in the States. Mm. So do you feel a responsibility now to do something? I feel That's like... That's why you started this thing? I did because it took me a long process. I, I had to overcome what I went through with my mom because my mom, did not obviously, did, she didn't treat me good. It was and, and as a child, you don't know why... You know, your parent hates you. Hmm. Your mom hated you. Oh yeah, she she just didn't know. I, she just didn't know how to show love. Like she just, I mean, she lost her whole family. I guess, you know, she just didn't know what to do. And then, um, so she took everything that she went through out on me as a child. I knew about her family dying, being murdered at age five. Hmm. I mean, that's how like. You know, it was affected by, you know. So she felt the need to recount this to you. As she told child. me everything, detail mm. by detail, like how they have you died. Been, have five you been, years old. Have you been in therapy yourself? No. <laughs> you haven't had any help for all no. that? 
No. I, I had to go through this on my own. Actually, I left. Um, I had my own struggles. I'm a high school teenager, normal teenager. But, I mean, it was you know, obviously much harder for me. So, I actually, me and my mom split when I was 17. Hmm. So, uh, you know, um, and I went on my, the, on my own since then. Like, I was on my own. So, you just. So, I learned life. You know, the hard way. You know, I was obvi- I was sheltered by my mom because she was ex- she's older, too. She's an older mom. So she was extremely old-fashioned. She's going through what she's going through. And then, you know, I couldn't have friends. I couldn't go out. I couldn't even you be a part of... I was actually casted in a play in Les Miserables as a... Um, I forgot who it is, but as a... Anyway, she said I couldn't do it. Like, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't play sports. I couldn't but have you friends. Weren't, couldn't you weren't allowed to have any friends I as wouldn't a have child. A, have nothing as a child. So I go to school and that she would lose you, right? Like I don't know what it was. I just I don't I, I don't you know, I don't know if that was the thing, but Yeah, so what was your pattern? You said you would go to school and then come home. home That's it, home. go straight to my room. Hmm. That's it. You know, so when we split, um I didn't you know, I didn't have her. I didn't have nobody. I didn't have anybody. I didn't have my dad, I didn't have my brother's death. So that's that, that goes into my, my, my unusual household right here. It's not, mm-hmm. my household's not normal. So my brother's deaf. He's totally deaf. He's, conf- he's deaf. Completely he deaf. Was, right. wasn't born deaf. He had an ear infection at three, and my mom was, didn't know. You know, she's coming to America, doesn't know what's going on. So my brother became deaf. Wow. So, yeah, I had to go through that with my brother. Then, you know, my mom doesn't speak English. She doesn't know sign language, so I had so to do interpret. You were the interpreter. Yeah, I did everything. Like I did, I she would take me out of school just to interpret for her doctor's appointment. And how did she, how did I you would communicate? Fill out her forms. Right. Me. <laughs> how did you communicate with your brother? Though? I know sign language. You'd learnt yes, sign language. I learned to sign language. My brother's mm-hmm. taught me sign language. And what about your mom? Does she communicate with him through sign language? Um, they have their own little language. <laughs> you know, anything between, they ask me to interpret. So I'll be the middleman, which is not always that good. You know? <laughs> So they're all here? No, my brother's in Maryland. Mm-hmm. You know, he's over there. He has, he's an engineer, actually. Wow. Okay, Incredible, so he's, huh? he's all right. He's then. doing good. Yeah, he's and doing is he good. coping with all these stresses that you're coping with? Or no, you? because for um, deaf people, they have one school in each state. So they'll have like um, Louisiana State for the deaf. Yeah, but I mean, did your mom <coughs> tell him all these terrible things? No, because well, he, was, he, does, he, was, he doesn't know. He can't hear anything. I, I, I so actually, he, was, he, was, he was cut off from all that. Suffering. Yes. What happens is when you're going to school for the deaf, you're not here. So he, he leaves for school Sunday. It will be picked up from the bus and you know, taken about an hour away, hour, two hours away, I think it was, and doesn't come home until Friday. Now, this is how his whole life was like this since he was five. He'll come home for the summer, but, like, sometimes he doesn't come home because it's so boring. Back then, we didn't really have closed captioning. It's just, like, you know, just <laughs> So he'll watch TV, and, like, there's nothing. He gets bored. So, he and he might have got extraordinarily lucky, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, when you yeah, think about what, what you went through. Yeah. He did. You know what? He is my savior. This is why I say that. My brother and I are so close. He saved my life, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the 80s, you know, they had no screens on the windows. So my mom used to live in a third-story apartment. I was literally hanging out the window. My brother had me, he had held my feet 
and had his feet against the wall to hold me in. Mm-hmm. And at the time, he was speaking, you know, so he was screaming for my mom to come get me. He saved my... He really saved, saved my, my life. life. Were you jumping out the window? You know? I don't know what I was what, doing. I think what? I was climbing out the window. Like, hey, yeah. <laughs> freedom. <laughs> I don't know. Right. <laughs> but ever since then, like for us, you know, our culture, we they when we discipline our kids, it's like they usually beat them, you know. So when my mom would go and beat me, my brother would come and hug me. Mm. And so I wouldn't get beat. This has been, ever since I was born, my brother was this way with me. What's interesting about both of you, Leah, and, and you, Candy, is that b- both of you have ended up embracing these cultures that, that, w- that in your case have been pretty difficult to deal with. I mean, you didn't run away from it. Now you have an organization that you're trying to turn into I an, did. an NGO. I did run away from it. I was like, you know, I don't want, I don't want to marry anybody in the culture. I don't want to <laughs> deal with Asian people. Like, <laughs> like, my kids are mixed. My first three, they're mixed. And I was like, they're actually half Hispanic. Mm-hmm. So um, I was just like, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with the Asian parents. I don't want to deal with this. I, just, I did run away. But um, I realized when, what I went through was kind of similar to what my mom went through. And it's just kind of like, as an adult, you begin to understand like what she went through, and that maybe it wasn't her fault that she treated me the way she did. So, so you when for, I do you forgive her, yes, yes, I do, I do. I, I love my mom. I love my mom to death. I lo- I really do, and I I learned a lot from her. I, I wouldn't be who I am without her. Even like even through the bad times that we went through, I wouldn't be who I am. So I think that putting this program together is kind of like an education to people, you know, so that we don't, I don't go through, like other people don't go through what I went through and other people that went, go through what my parents went through. You know, it's rough, you know, Mm. obviously. So that's what I'm trying to share and then help those that were affected by it as well. Like I do a lot of educating. I go, I go around for like, Oh, you know, are you Vietnamese or Chinese? No, I'm Cambodian. And then I'll be like, and I'll go straight to the point, you know, like, I'll talk to you about the genocide, and I'll go through a whole, like, I'll go through a whole nine Like in the it. Starbucks line or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, Do you know what happened in Cambodia? Yeah, I, I would educate people. If the students, they ask me, I'm Cambodian. Oh, yeah. And I'll just tell them, it's all about education for me. It's right. like, I like to. Well, we have a link to your stuff on our site. Yes. So people can find about, out about you and the, the movement. What's it called? Um, I have my own. I have my own website, but the website of my organization is the tsccp.org. Okay. The so Strengthening Cambodian Communities. Okay, so we have a link to that on our site for anyone who yes. wants to go and explore that, and of course, a link to your modeling site as oh, well. I Candyland. It's my I Candyland. My I Candyland. <laughs> is a little bit more upbeat. In sense. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us, I Candy. Thank you so much very, for having very me. Very interesting hour altogether. Kitsy Adams, thank you so thank much you, for joining sir. us as well. Thank we have you. a link to your stuff on our site as well. The catering company and, and Chris, Chris Owens. Owens. Awesome. Yes, and the Easter Parade, of course, is Easter Sunday. Yeah. Yes, yes. Look at that website too. All Please right. join us. All right, Leah Song. Of course, we have a link to your own stuff and also to Rising Up a Lot. That's what's now pronounced, as we know. Yeah. On our side. Thank you so much, all the three of you, for joining us. What an unbelievable hour it's been. Thank you so much. Our producer is Melinda Hawes, our associate producer and technical director is Chris Kehoe. Christian Unruh is the music director of Happy Hour. Our web designer and link to the real world is Cliff Brigden. Mitch Foreman is playing the music you're listening to right now. 
you also wrote it. If you'd like to be on our show, drop us a line at itsneworleans at gmail.com. Our show is recorded live at the Collins Hotel, a great place to come and stay. If you're coming to New Orleans, a great place to come and have a drink with us anytime you're here. Check out our other happy hour shows on our website, along with our other shows, Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti, live from Commander's Palace, Mindset with psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic, and True to the Game with comedian Chris True. You can keep up with us by liking It's New Orleans on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter and you can subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. Happy Hour is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. For Mitch Foreman on piano, I'm Grant Morris. Until next time, see you on Happy Hour. Bye.